however you prefer, you can uh, be opening your Bibles or Bible apps to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. We are uh, in the middle of this uh, summer series uh, we're calling an investigation. And, and in it, we are just asking the standard who, what, when, where, why, how questions of things of the church. And so, uh, so far, we have established who is Jesus and who is Satan. So Jesus is God's one and only Son, the perfect Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He is our living hope. He is God. He is my Savior. And without Him, I would be completely lost, completely broken, completely guilty, and completely hopeless. He has power to release captives. He has power to heal every sickness and every hurt. He has power over death. And these are true of no one else but Jesus Christ. Last week we found that Satan is the pride-filled father of lies and former worship leader of heaven who craftily disguises himself so as to deceive who he is and to hide what he's up to, which is always taking what doesn't belong to him, sucking the life out of everyone that he can, destroying the lives of those who are called to be God's image bearers so as to distract as many as he can from hearing and accepting the gospel. And we saw it last week. He is a formidable foe. However, you and I do not need to live in fear of him. Because God is in control and his word gives us the end of the story. Satan cannot go past the boundaries that God sets. Satan does not own me. God does. Satan did not pay the price for my sins. Jesus did. The only power Satan has in my life is, this, is the power that I allow him to have. One day he will be disposed of forever. And all who have trusted in Jesus will worship him for eternity. Revelation 20.10 says, The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Jesus and Satan are on opposite ends of the spectrum of good versus evil. And the battleground is the souls of men and women, which brings us to our question today. In this thing called church... Who belongs? Well, we start with the bad news. And that is, on our own, in and of ourselves, we have, have absolutely zero credentials to qualify us to be a part of God's people, the church. Actually, we have the credentials to disqualify us. We are naturally born on Satan's end of the spectrum. To prove that, all we need to do is take a little stroll down the old Romans road. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. And this is true of everyone who has ever lived except Jesus Christ. Which is why we need to accept Jesus Christ. Because of our sin, because of, our, because of God's holiness, none of us have what it takes. None of us are qualified to be a part of God's people, the church. 
including the three characters that we look at in our study in John today. Some of the earliest encounters that Jesus had, but something changed for them, which has also changed for many of us, and that change is offered to anyone listening. So uh, this was a part of the teaching that we took to Montecito over Memorial Day. Uh, Jacqueline presented this to the Arabic Community Church, uh, the students that we were speaking to there. And, and it just shows us that the Word of God, uh, it, it is valid across cultural lines. Let's look first at Jesus' encounter with the religious local. The religious local, number one on your outline. And if you're able, please stand out of respect for the Word of God as we read in John 3. Hear the word of the Lord. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it where it comes from, and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be true? And Jesus said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, We speak what we know, and we testify what we have seen. You do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven But he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man, who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So many of you may be familiar with uh, John chapter 3, and and even more of us are probably familiar with verse 16, but you may or may not be familiar with Nicodemus. He is the religious local. Notice it tells us that he was a Pharisee. And in this culture, Pharisees were the standard for holiness because they believed that holiness was attained by keeping a bunch of rules. And our friend Nico here, he would have had the the first five books of the Old Testament memorized, including all the laws and regulations, and Pharisees like to add 
hundreds more thou shalt not to the list so as to appear completely holy. But church, keeping all the rules was not what gave Nicodemus an opportunity to be, of God, to be a part of God's people, the church. You'll notice that he came by night, probably because he didn't want to be accused of getting too close to Jesus. And Jesus didn't waste any time getting to the point. He said, you have to be born again. And probably just like Nicodemus had always done his entire life, he took it literally for face value, what it looked like on the outside. He was looking for a list of rules, a checklist that he could, he could go down and check each one. But Jesus came out and told him, this second birth isn't about keeping rules. The second birth is spiritual. That's the first blank on your outline. The next blank on your outline. He explained it like this. There is an unseen presence, like the wind, that it doesn't have to do with our outward appearance, but it moves on the inside of, the, uh, of a person. It's the Spirit of God. It's the same Spirit that prompted Nicodemus to question Jesus, who is the only one who gives eternal life. And, and just like the religious local, we must come to terms with the Spirit of God by being spiritually born again in order to gain eternal life, in order to be a part of God's people church. Now before we move on to number two, look at verse 11 there in chapter three. And notice what it says, most assuredly, Jesus is talking here, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. It's really easy to, to miss it here, but we and our are, pure, are, are plural uh, and depending on what version you're reading, uh, we and our may be capitalized. Jesus, I believe he's speaking of the Trinity here. He's speaking of the testimony that, that the Father gave at Jesus' baptism. Uh, this is my beloved Son. And how the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And so it's more evidence of the deity of Christ and of the Trinity. And so I, I just uh, I encourage you to always be looking for that. Because Verses like this is, is why we believe what we believe. Uh, he, he's speaking of, of the Trinity. And so when we recognize them, it helps us to establish and, and grow our faith. Nicodemus, this religious local, he had to be born again spiritually. We're going to come back to him in just a minute. Let's turn over to chapter 4. We see number 2 on your outline, the broken woman. The broken woman. Let's pick it up in verse 5. Jesus came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of, the, of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it as well as his sons and his livestock? 
Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come to draw here. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have said, Well, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one with whom you, you have now is not your husband. That you spoke truthfully. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Verse 24. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. So we, we learn a lot about this broken woman in these few verses. Uh, first of all, being a woman in this culture was not something that she would have wanted to put on her resume. Women did not have rights like men. Women were not highly valued in this culture. Add to that being a Samaritan. Samaritans were a race of people that were half Jewish and half Assyrian. They began back in 722 B.C. when Assyria invaded Israel and the exiled Jews dropped the prohibitions against intermarrying. And thus they lost their ethnic purity. Samaritans were half-breeds and they were hated by the Jews. You'll notice that she came at the sixth hour. That's right in the middle of the day when it's really nice and hot. She came alone because all the other women would have come earlier when it was cooler. And so her gender, her ethnicity, and her lifestyle had all led to her isolation. Jesus told her about this living water and then said to go get your husband. And we soon find out she'd been married five times. And the man she apparently lived with was not even her husband. Well, she tried to change the subject pretty quickly. Notice, Jesus first confronts her sin. That's the next blanks on your outline. The gospel always causes us to confront our sin. The gospel always causes us to confront our sin. It is the first step in getting out of the, the pit of brokenness that we find ourselves in. It's the first step of becoming a part of the church. Jesus confronts her sin, not condemningly. I mean, if we're honest, he could have used a lot of words that would have been true that we probably would not want to repeat in this setting, but he didn't. Remember, back in chapter 3, 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I never believe that God's is a voice of condemnation. Satan wants you to believe that it is. But don't we know that Satan is a liar, a thief, 
He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Just like we see in this broken woman. And Jesus loves to bring up sin because he loves to forgive. I think a lot of times we miss that step. A lot of times we, we, we miss it. We, we might say, um, okay, I, I, I know the Lord. I, I accepted uh, what he did on the cross to save me from my sins a long time ago. But then when it comes to confessing sin, um, man, we kind, of, we kind of avoid that. We, we don't allow the Lord to search our hearts and make sure that we haven't harbored any sin that has resulted in the difficulty that we're in. We just go to straight to trying to, trying to fix the, the, the difficulty. That's the natural response. And sometimes there isn't anything to reveal and confess. But difficult situations in life always give an opportunity for us to allow God to search our hearts and bring our sin to light so that we can confess it and find freedom in His forgiveness. As uncomfortable as it is, we must bring our sin to light in order to be healed and changed by God. This woman quickly changed the subject. You'll notice there in verse 19. She changed it to religion. She highlighted the difference between the Samaritans and the Jews. It came down here to worshiping in a certain place. And so she really is on the same page as our friend Nicodemus, believing that religion could fix her. Believing that it's what on, what's on the outside that mattered most to God. The truth is, she didn't know who or where or how to worship. And so Jesus told her, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Now, honestly, that can be a kind of confusing statement. What does Jesus mean when he says true worshipers must worship in spirit and truth? Well, I think he's saying the same thing that he said to Nicodemus back in chapter 3. Worshiping God is not about a physical place. Worshiping God is not about religiously keeping a bunch of rules. Worshiping God starts on the inside, in your spirit. And you cannot truly worship Him unless you have the Holy Spirit, which only comes through a relationship with Jesus. The rule-keeping was not working very well for her. She had failed most of those. And if she wanted to use the fact that she was a Samaritan woman as an excuse, that wasn't going to work either. And so Jesus tell, told her what He still says to you and me. I can overcome anything you are up against, but you have to start by surrendering your heart to the truth of who I really am, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, come to fix your brokenness. So notice, he didn't tell Nicodemus that. He only shared that with this broken woman. But we'll come back to her in a moment. Remember, we're trying to answer this question. Who belongs. So far we've seen a religious local, a broken woman. They all have something in common, including number three, who is a desperate dad. A desperate dad. Pick it up in verse 46, chapter 4. Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he had made water the wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him 
and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was to the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my, my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And he was, as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. And then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour his fever left him. And so the father knew that it was at the same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed in his whole household. So this uh, desperate dad here, he's described as a nobleman. That tells us that he was likely a government official with some connection to Herod. In his desperation, he made this 20-mile journey over mountainous terrain from Capernaum to Cana. Apparently just to see Jesus because he thought just maybe Jesus could heal his dying son. Now, it almost seems like Jesus was rebuking the dad in verse 46 when he said, unless you people see signs, you won't believe. But I don't think he was because this man didn't have to see to believe. Unlike Nicodemus, it wasn't about outward appearance. Unlike the broken woman, it wasn't about a physical location. Verse 50 there says, Jesus said to him, go your way, your son lives. And so the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went his way. This man didn't have to see it. He believed. And Jesus healed his son. This desperate dad understood what Jesus told Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Jesus doesn't respond to demands or rules. Jesus can't be contained by earthly religion. The next blank on your outline, Jesus responds to faith. Jesus responds to faith. This desperate dad was understandably at his wit's end, willing to try anything. Jesus met him in his desperation and responded to faith. In his conversation with Nicodemus in chapter 3, Whoever believes in him, the Son of Man, God's Son, should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word believes, it refers to faith. See, the bad news for Nicodemus was that his religion was getting him nowhere Jesus met him in his nowhere and changed his life. There's good evidence that he put his faith in Jesus. Even after Jesus was crucified, he was no longer afraid of being associated with him. Jesus responds to faith. The broken woman's story ends like this in verse 39, chapter 4. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me everything that I ever did. And so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Revival broke out in the Samaritan town because Jesus met this woman in her brokenness. 
He confronted her sin, and she responded in faith, and her life was forever changed. Jesus responds to faith. What we see in these early encounters that Jesus had, it doesn't matter how broken or desperate or religious you are, all who are born again spiritually, all who worship in spirit and truth, whoever believes belongs. Whoever believes belongs. We go into a time of invitation as we just allow God to speak to our hearts. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes and consider some of these questions the message brings up. Are you here this morning and you need, like Nicodemus, a spiritual rebirth? Have you ever come to the point you remember surrendering your life to what Jesus did on the cross so that his blood would cover your sins? That's the first step if you've never made that. Do you this morning long for a relationship that will last like the woman at the well? Jesus offers that. What situation in your life currently is God calling you to respond in faith? Even though it doesn't make any sense. Don't we know that it didn't make any earthly sense for this dad to just leave Jesus behind after this long journey, but he did it anyway. He responded in faith, and Jesus acted. What are you going through that God's calling you to respond in faith? Do you belong? Whoever believes belongs, do you belong? This belief that we're talking about is more than just head knowledge. It's heart knowledge. It's more than just knowing stories about God. Trusting in Him with your heart. What has God said to you this morning through His Word? What are you going to do about it?